Welcome to the For Love and Money podcast, the show where business and social purpose meet to inspire a movement for positive change. Here's your host, Carolyn Butler Madden. For today's episode on the For Love and Money podcast, I'm delighted to welcome two guests, Jade Collins and Alana Bastinburn from Fem Economy. Fem Economy educates consumers, budget owners, and business owners on how purchasing decisions can create gender equality. Fem Economy certified businesses have at least 30% of women on the board of directors or are 50% female owned. And so far, over 850 brands have met Fem Economy's criteria. So, more on that soon. For now, let me introduce my guests. Jade Collins has 20 years global experience in corporate executive human resources and management consulting roles in the mining, energy and aerospace industries, leading large-scale complex multi-million dollar change management programs. Jade finds the combination of her HR, psychology and MBA qualifications and her leadership experience is invaluable for creating networks and engaging others to increase gender equality in leadership across industries. She was also a member of the Queensland Government's Strategic Advisory Group for the Toward Gender Parity, Women on Boards Initiative, and the 2019 CQU Alumni of the Year for Social Impact for her work with Fem Economy. Alana Bastinburn has over 20 years experience in marketing, communications, and community development leadership both in the UK and Australia. And the diversity of Alana's leadership experience has been instrumental in building Fem Economy's engaged community to advance gender equality. In 2018, Alana was announced as one of 80 women to watch in business disruption in US, Canada, Australia, and Europe. And in 2020, last year, she was a Telstra Businesswoman of the Year finalist and Griffith University's Entrepreneur in Residence. Jade, Alana, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on the For Love and Money podcast. Thanks, Carolyn. Um, all right, this is a chat I'm really, really excited to get into, a subject very close to my heart as well, obviously. Um, but, but let's kick off with what purpose means to you and, and two questions really. What is your perspective? And I'd love to hear both from both of you on this particular one. What's your perspective on the role of love? In business? So I might kick off, um, Carolyn. I think for me, purpose is about understanding your why. You know, why do you get up in the morning to go to work? Why do you spend more time sometimes with your work colleagues than you do with your friends and family and children and other people that, that love you? Um, so having an organisation that really understands their why and their purpose and the impact you're getting up and making every day um, by going to your job or being in your career but I do I do actually firm, firmly believe that organizations don't love you back um, I think you can love the people that you work with I think you can love your job but that's why you know understanding your impact and your why um, is really important and if I think about an, an example in my own career I worked for Southbank in Brisbane in Queensland and that's an amazing community space, arts and culture, major events, restaurants, precinct. Um, and it's right across from the city. And it's a, be it's a beautiful, beautiful part of Brisbane. And, you know, everyone that worked there, we understood the 20-year vision for what that place was going to look like. 
And what that meant was that everyone in that organization knew what they were contributing from you know, me in marketing, to the cleaners, to the board, to people in events, to asset management. And everyone also had respect for everyone's role in that vision. That also meant that any um, issues that we had within the organization, it was okay, we could overcome them as a team because we could see the vision of what they were trying to, to create. And I think, you know, in that organization, we all loved that place. And we, it was very, very special to all of us. And we wanted the community to love that place because we were building it for them. And it's a place that, you know, you don't, you didn't need to have a lot of money to go to. You could spend a lot of money, but you could just go there, you know, for a walk with your, your family and friends. And I think one of the things that the leadership did in that, um, in that organization was really making sure that um, everyone did feel valued and I guess in a way loved. So one of the things they used to do was um, once a month, we used to have a morning tea and all the cleaners would get up on stage and they'd tell us, you know, how many toilet rolls they'd, you know, and how much tons of rubbish they'd picked up. And the CEO would get up and say, this is why people love this place because mm. they take good care of it. And, you know, we'll have 100,000 people here for New Year's Eve and that, this will look spit spot the next day. So, you know, absolutely everyone felt valued and loved um, in that organisation. And it was, it was an amazing place to work. But I think now it's slightly different because, you know, Jade is my sister-in-law and I do love her. Oh, right. <laughs> I didn't realise that. Love, yeah, in our business. So I guess as a, as a family business, you know, that's a, that's a whole different, you know, um, angle when you talk when you talk about about love in business. Oh, fantastic that that brings a whole new perspective to this as well like joining for sisters joining forces for the sisters right yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah um, oh, that's that's great Alana thanks um thanks for sharing that and and I think that that clarity that clarity of vision knowing what you're there to achieve together and having respect for everyone's role makes space for respect and people to start loving what they're trying to achieve and building those relationships together. So I think Jade, that's I'd love to hear example. from you on this. Oh, I think if a business doesn't have purpose, um, it's really difficult to sustain momentum and it is very hard to get people to engage around a vision that is purely commercially driven. I think that that has a finite lifespan. Uh, and, it, and it also, having purpose, really cr crystallises meaning for people. It crystallises belonging and why people are coming together around that purpose, which is a core human need. And what it does is create a sense of your know, shared vision and community. Um, and just drawing on what Alana said around us, you know, being uh, sisters-in-law and working together, we do have a core purpose in our business, but beyond that and beyond loving what we do from a work perspective, we have such a deep respect and love for each other that also really is a foundation and a bedrock of our business that, you know, propels us through challenges and helps us to overcome obstacles in our path. And it's a really important and I think driving force of our business. Yeah. And so, so you've touched on that clarity of vision and how that, um, 
allows you to feel like you belong. I think belonging is such a huge part of it and it links to identity, doesn't it? Mm. That sense of, you know, this is who I am, this is what I care about, this is what I show up every day for. Um, and, and respect is absolutely a critical part of that. But without that clarity of vision, and you've both talked about that, um, and I think that that is, you know, one of the consistent things about purposeful organisations is they have that vision, not of where they want to be in X years' time, mm. but, you know, the future that they're trying to break through and create and contribute to. And that's what I love about what you both are doing with Fem Economy. Um, so what I'd like to ask you is what inspired you to start Fem Economy? Like when did this happen? <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear the story, sisters-in-law coming together. What was it, a conversation? How did it all start? Um, it started in a Melbourne taxi. I was there on a work trip and I had worked in HR for a long time. I'd always been interested in diversity and inclusion and trying to get more women in leadership into the you know very male-dominated industries in which I worked. But I read this statistic that women made over 80% of purchase decisions and that just struck me as an incredibly powerful lever that I had never come across before. I, I hadn't seen that information anywhere. And I thought, well, what if, you know, um, what if women knew this and they could use their purchasing power to support companies that had women in leadership? And then that would encourage more companies to have more women in leadership. And by having more women in leadership, you then change the culture of organisations and make them more inclusive and make them more diverse and, you know, and, and generate better outcomes. And so I just became completely obsessed with <laughs> this idea and, and I thought, no, I, I really do need to do something with this. I, I think I want to um, create a business. Who can I work with? Who do I want to work with? Um, and really the only person that I thought of was Alana because, you know, we share the same values, I guess, at the end of the day. And it was probably a really terrible and <laughs> horrendously busy time of her life she had two tiny children um, my brother was in the throes of changing careers and studying medicine so um, they were moving uh, a lot and um, it was just sort of a bad idea and a bad time but I kind of berated her over a period <laughs> of time and joining me and thinking that, you know, yeah, we can we can do something with this. Um, we had no idea what we were going to make of it at that stage, but um, probably the, the best recruitment decision ever, I think. Oh, brilliant. And Alana, what, what did you think when, when um, Jade started coming at you with this? Well, originally, originally she called me. I can still see where I was um, in the place that we were living in at that time, and she was just wanted to bounce the idea off me. And so I had lots of different ideas for her. And I think because she could, one of the things that she could see that I was excited by it, it was purpose-driven. Um, you know, for me, working in marketing communications my whole career, I've always had to work for purpose-driven organisations. So social housing, health, the arts, education. You know, I wasn't someone that could, you know, I wouldn't be great at selling tyres, I don't think. Um, but yeah, so this, I love this idea that, you know, you could try and create change. And I, because I've also got a community development 
um, background with the work that I did in social housing in the UK, I could really see, you know, how we could, you know, bring people together and bring them on that journey because, you know, if gender equality is not going to ha happen for over another hundred years, you know, what's the legacy? How do you create that? How do, how's it an idea that you can keep going um, beyond, you know, whatever Jade and I um, create? So, yeah, I was really excited and I was looking for something else at the time. I'd been doing some consultancy work um, so we did, yeah, we just started working on it, but it was quite funny. I was only telling my husband, um, Jade's brother, when we were on holidays a few weeks ago about how I used to go to play groups and I'd book a babysitter for my son and I would sit in a dollhouse room and I would be working to get some hours there to work. And he couldn't believe it because he was studying medicine at the time. He had sort of no idea what I was really doing. <laughs> <laughs> some quite funny things I think that we've looked back on now and go gosh I can't believe you know there was the dollhouse moments really in this journey and and tell me so so your backgrounds your respective backgrounds had you worked like Jade you mentioned um 80 percent of purchase decisions are, mm. are made by women mm. but this idea of um women owned businesses or you know 50% or 30 you know mm. women having a role in influencing the workplace um where where did you come at it from from your background had you worked in women dominated industries or male dominated industries i'm just curious to get some context around that yeah, I, I worked predominantly in male-dominated industries for my entire career, um, but what I could see was the difference that it made to um, the culture and the, the workplace experience of people when you had women present, um, when there were women um, at the leadership table having um, the opportunity to participate in discussion and debate and um, decision-making. So, you know, that to me, I had some very early career lessons around the difference that that made to, to outcomes for people. And I, I just firmly believe that, you know, the more diversity we have around the table, there's really no substitute for lived experience, right? So we don't know. Um, what other people's lived experience is and the more inclusivity we have around that around differences in lived experience the better outcomes that we'll have because we're actually making decisions and representing our actual community and the the diversity of our community it's not one homogenous group making decisions on behalf of a very diverse community with um, vastly different lived experience and it's it's balance, isn't it? It's like yes. it's just been weighted. It, it's been so unbalanced for so long. Mm. Um, it's not a case of saying it's all about women. It's it's just about creating that balance and being being open, but also inviting in the qualities, the the characteristics that women tend to bring into a place, an environment. Yeah, absolutely. And just the different perspectives, you know, the, the number of conversations that, um, that I've had with women working in industry who were, I guess, the trailblazers and, um, you know, the, the only woman on site or the first woman on site, 
um, about fundamental things like, you know, there's no female toilet. So they used to have to drive off site or, you know, use a port loo or, you know, um, just just crazy fundamental stuff that people don't see if it doesn't affect them. Yeah, absolutely. What what was the um, TV series we had on our screens recently with Annabelle Crabb, which um, talked about women women in yes misrepresented mm-hmm. and um, and exactly that about you know fe- female toilets in Parliament and mm-hmm. the lack of them and so many other barriers. Amazing, isn't it? Um, so I think too, Carolyn, um, you know, gender equality is not a zero sum game. So there's lots of examples, mm. you know, Jade shared with me from her career, for example, you know, no toilets in underground mines, none. Oh, so, wow. yeah. yeah. So then by making the organisation more female friendly, like putting toilets in for everybody, you're actually helping everyone, you know, by mm. putting in like heavy um equipment to you know help with heavy lifting things you know blokes get sore knees Mm. too so it helps them as well and then also you know flexibility around rosters like everyone everyone wanted that but it was when they were trying to make the organization more female friendly that it actually Mm. benefited everyone yeah um and so i think that's always a message that we want to get out there because you know again yeah gender equality is not a zero-sum game everyone benefits yeah absolutely and as you pointed out that there are some basic practical things that yeah. it, it, it creates but also but also just um attitudes and approaches and and what's acceptable mm. in the workplace I feel like you know through through my career we've seen change from women coming in and women having to in order to succeed demonstrate very, very sort of male attributes mm. and over time starting to get comfortable with actually no you know we can bring in empathy and concern for people. Um, we can bring in emotion and caring and that sort of thing. And for me, I think that's that's a, a big part of one of the questions I'm asking, which is who made the rules that business, in order to be professional, should be aloof, cold, clinical? Who made those rules, right? Mm. It, we, we accept them as the norm, mm. but but somebody decided that it should be that way and we kind of have gone along with it, but where has it led us? I think COVID's changing that though as well because there's less mm. separation between home and work. Um, again, I you know, they talk about the great migration where there's going to be lots of people changing jobs within the next year and I think they're going to be looking for organizations with purpose Mm. um and that you know love what they do so because you know they're seeing how these you know what they need at home and what they need at work is is and the values that they might have as an individual um you know what are not um working with the organization that they're working in so I think you know the next year for purpose it's going to be really interesting in organizational culture like Jade was saying those companies that have got those things right will attract the best talent I believe mm. yeah yeah absolutely I, I believe that strongly too so so let's get into more deeply what is the fem economy effect so it's actually about the significant purchasing power that women have to drive change using that economic lever of their purse power or we talk about procurement power as well. Um, so like Jade said before, she read that Harvard Business Review article that women make 85% of purchase decisions. You know, that's a huge economic lever to drive change. So 
This is a stat from a couple of years ago, but the global consumer economy was valued at $35 trillion. Women's spending accounts for about $28 trillion. So two thirds of all the money in the world is spent by women. So actually, if you look at that collective purse power, it's actually bigger than the economies of China and India put together twice over. That's <laughs> so incredible. The fem economy mm. effect and purse power is a real is a real thing. But that I think for us, that's why we still have to educate the female economy around why female-led companies are important. You know, why should they choose a female-led company over? another company and the reason is you know what Jade was saying before about her experience about what female leaders bring to the company but research shows that you know one that company is more profitable so there's actually more opportunity for everyone in the organization but they're more likely to have workplace flexibility you know they're less likely to have a gender pay gap and they're more likely to employ women um, which is again mm -hmm. You know, women's economic security is a big issue in Australia. It's a big issue globally, um, but also COVID has really um, impacted that. So, you know, again, women companies with female leaders are more likely to create those change those changes because they're at that leadership table. Yeah. Um, they're, they're they're talking about their lived experience and what needs to change. So, in Australia, what is the representation of females? In leadership positions have you have you got any like stats or sense of where we're at with that at the moment so jade reviews the data each year on fem economy do you want to talk a little bit about that jade um it's probably better to talk about the the wajia data that's where companies with over 100 employees actually need to report into the workplace gender equality agency on an annual basis of what their gender um, diversity is at leadership level so and, and throughout the organization um, and also what their remuneration is as well so you know currently we're sitting at I think an over 14 percent pay gap um, between men and women okay so, mind blown <laughs> so I just wanted to pause and let that sink in so you know that that tells us though though we are making progress we absolutely cannot afford to stop measuring this to stop talking about this because it is so easy and fragile this progress and it, it can stall quickly if we if we don't constantly take action and taking action and making plans to improve is really important um, you know, I think we're sitting at around uh, less than 5% see female CEOs of ASX 200 um, organisations. Again, you know, if you, if you have a look at the stats, it gets better probably around middle management. But when you start to get into that C-suite tier is really when things start to become more difficult for women to, to break into that level um, of leadership and so, I mean, we are making progress, aren't we? We are um, making progress um, in, in some uh, areas. I would say if we have a look at the World Economic Forum's um, you know, Gender Equality Index, we've seriously gone backwards um, as a country over the last decade. You know, we were at um, in position uh, 12 and 15, and I think currently we're sitting at 50 
globally. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah, and it's largely as a result of our political representation and um, the number of women that we have elected. Interestingly, on that data too, the World um, Gender Gap Index, Australia is number one in the whole world for women's educational attainment. Mm. So we are the best at that in the world. Well, so and what does then, that mean, women's educational attainment? What, what does that so mean? How, how educated um, women oh, are in oh, terms of, yes. Okay. Yep. So, we, so we we're one, number one there. <laughs> we're number God. one. We educate women the best in the world. We have <laughs> the best outcomes for that. However, um, then uh, having those very well-educated, um, knowledgeable, experienced women represented in our uh, senior leadership ranks, we perform very poorly. So, so let's just pause there a moment and just take stock of, of some of this information you've provided, right? 85% of purchasing decisions are made by females. Mm-hmm. And yet there are less than 5% female CEOs in ASX companies. <laughs> and there's still a 14% pay gap. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 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 those first two, you know, that that whole idea of lived experience that you talked about before, I mean, that's a massive gap, isn't it? It 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 feels like I can't believe we're here in 2021, and this feels like a last century statistic. Yeah, our oh, last century was pretty bad, though. <laughs> okay, like, okay, so. To- we do have to recognise we have come a long way, mm. but absolutely stare in the face the brutal facts around how far we still have to go and how important it is to maintain the momentum and to not backslide. Yeah, okay. Mm. So, so that, uh, and I can see how that would have powered you and inspired you to start mm. Fem Economy. So you started a business because you wanted to help to accelerate the change that needed to occur. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And to complement the top-down initiatives that were already in place, you know, around women on boards and all of the inclusion, diversity programs that organisations are already running and, you know, targets that they are setting to get more women into into leadership. This really is a bottom-up strategy that every single person, every single woman, every single budget owner, business owner can activate to get more women into leadership and to support women-owned and led businesses and to increase women's ability to participate in the workforce and to, to create economic security for women because that pathway to business ownership is a way for women to have um, economic security and to create financial security for themselves and their families. Yeah. Yeah, and one fantastic. of the reasons, you know, we, we talk about the importance of women-owned businesses trading with each other and with companies having gender equality procurement principles is because women own a, a business with a female founder and a female executive will actually employ, you know, six times more women. So, yeah, again, it's fixing that, that gap. It's giving women that economic freedom. You know, we've got lots of... Um, 
stories of how you know women have um, brought women under their wing that have you know been experiencing domestic and family violence and all those and given them a way a way out so I guess you know part of that gender equality conversation is around is around that and women's safety and economic security actually go hand in hand. Enjoying the podcast? If you're looking for more inspiration head to our website thecauseeffect.com.au for more resources on how you can start using your business as a force for good. Or buy the For Love and Money book. Every copy sold allows us to protect one square metre of rainforest. Help us save 10,000 square metres by 2025. Okay, so you're you're really clear on why you're in business. Can you share with our listeners how? What's the how of Femi Economy? What is it that you do? So we um, accredit companies that have at least 30% women on their board of directors or are 50% female owned, and we publish that data. So we make that publicly available to anyone. We want it to be as frictionless as possible for them to find um, a women-owned or women-led business. But I think for us, you know, the fem economy effect is about, yes, you can use our website and research businesses, and yes, that is a tool. But in your own homes and in your own communities, you will know other women who have their own businesses or, you know, so support them. Just think about that as an idea to support the people in your network who are women-owned. So, but yes, we are absolutely a tool and a way to have a conversation around that and also a way to keep companies accountable. You know, what Jade was saying before around continuing the conversation and continuing to educate, you know, every year Jade reviews the leadership composition of around 1,500 brands on our site. And what we see is that what she's picked up is that, you know, companies will get to that 30% women on the board of directors and go, great job done. And then someone resigns or there's a merger or, and then all of a sudden they drop below that again. And the reason that 30% is really important is because um, women are not just heard, women are heard in their own right, rather than being represented as part of a minority and research backs that up. So yeah. we need to make sure that it's not just that 30% that they hit and forget about it. They need to, they need to keep going. So you know, our data is a way to continue to have that conversation and to continue to educate the female economy about who's in, who's out, what's happening. Mm. So it's an ongoing thing. You can certify, you can get, you can get accreditation, but you have to, they have to recertify or you look for evidence that it's continuing. Absolutely. Yeah. And we do have um, companies that that are on that precipice of the of the particularly thirty percent, um, who over the last you know five years since we've been publishing the data set, they have come in and they've come out and they've come in and they've come out, um, because you know they they kind of get to the to thirty percent and go yep whoop, yep hit the target done moving on to something else now, so you know and, and that's why I keep saying we just can't afford to take our eye off that off that ball it's a live conversation it will always have to be a live conversation and it's all types and all inclusive isn't it so you would get you would get um, businesses coming in who are keen to tick a box because they they know about you you know they recognize Mm -hmm. the the value um to their business you know they're thinking about it through the commercial lens and then there are those who go no we you know we want to be part of a movement for change 
we see the benefits but but that all-inclusive approach I, I look at your business and I look at Femi Economy and I don't see a business I see it is a business of course but it's a movement it's a movement for change is is what I see is powering it and and to be really frank we wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't a movement we had discussions around the business model when we first set up you know should we be a not-for-profit should we be a company and in the end in the end we decided to go with a for-profit social enterprise because we both come from business backgrounds and to us that was our experience base and it just made more sense to us from a sustainability point of view and our ability to achieve longevity so that we can persevere towards this social change. Yeah, and to be able to scale the impact that you want to achieve. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And so what other, you've, you've got the directory, so the tool that, mm-hmm. that people can come and search um, you do a lot more than that from, from you know, my experience with you, you're constantly looking at how you can further the agenda. Can you share some of those initiatives that you've been part of? Yeah, I guess there's two different examples that I can think of, you know, one around our advocacy work that we do and then another about, I guess, about our outreach work. So uh, an example of an um, advocacy piece is that we we developed a discussion paper on how women-owned businesses impact women's economic security because when we were talking to corporates, governments, not-for-profits about including women-owned businesses in their um, supply chains, they were like, well, why are they important? What, what impact do they have? So we started educating them around that. Um, and we were invited to Canberra to present that at a parliamentary breakfast and there were some really good outcomes and that's actually led to conversations with all um, state governments, which has been wonderful. Um, recently, you know, if we talk about our community and, and the movement, um, the Queensland government released a consultation for their next Queensland women's strategy. And so we got our community behind it and said, you know, request for a five, at least 5% procurement target for women-owned businesses in Queensland. This was introduced in the US in 1994. Whoa. So, <laughs> It's not something new. It's got a really good research base of the social and economic impact. We've seen the difference Indigenous procurement has made to, you know, Australia's economy and the social impact of that. 5% isn't actually a lot considering how far, how much we are of the population. But that's what I mean. It's more than just, it's more than just us. It is a movement. It is trying to create that legacy. Same with the work Jay did around the women on board strategy in, in, for Queensland government. So that's, you know, advocacy is a really important part of what we do and we actually love doing it. The other, the other piece, you know, if I think about some of our, I guess, more outreach programs is, you know, I, I want people to feel like Fem Economy is for them, no matter where they come from in Australia, no matter what their cultural background. So one of the programs we did was for women-owned businesses in very remote and drought-affected Queensland. Um, and we can do all this because we're, you know, we're online, we can give them support, we can bring them into a national network. So that's been a great program that we did over the last year. And I guess one of our highlights for this year was actually going out to Charleville and meeting some of the women-owned businesses and getting them to speak at their events. And then they've mm-hmm. gone on to apply for national awards, you know, they're speaking at other events. And, you know, these are people that have to travel hundreds of kilometres that have got multi-businesses on the go because they come from regional communities, but they're the ones actually changing these regional communities, you know. 
and we can learn so much from them, our you know, community in other parts of Australia. So um, we love doing those types of programs as well. So there's some of the different things that we that we do as part of our work. Yeah, fantastic. And um, what I what I love about one of the things I love about what you guys do is um, you you raise the profile of of your members of women owned businesses, and you know you hero. Um, your members so it and and you make Mm. it really accessible your levels of membership are very very accessible at you know no matter what stage of business you are so you if if you are a female owned business where are you if you're not with Fen Economy? (laughs) (laughs) Just um on the reason we started interviewing um our members is because women are only 18% of quoted media sources when it comes to business in Australia. So we're actually, we're not hearing them as leaders of industry. We hear about them as mums or grandmothers or the neighbour down the street, but not as leaders of industry. So that's why we started doing that. And actually that piece of work um, meant that we've been recognised by the National Library of Australia. And so every interview we've ever done will be part of the Australian archives and will be able to be gl- accessed globally in perpetuity. So that is, you know, capturing women's stories and having that historical reg- record. Again, it's, you know, how do you create that legacy? How is it beyond whatever, you know, Jade and I do day to day? That's so powerful. That That's brilliant. Why? Why is it taking so long oh I think two things unconscious bias and the breadwinner model um you know we we all um we all are raised I suppose in this cultural paradigm where we have traditionally you know we've got all these legacy structures around um men as leaders and men as breadwinners and you know, culturally and socially and at a community level and also at an organisational level, it really does take time to change those systems, structures, mindsets, legislation. You know, it, it takes time. Yeah, and I, I think culture, culture is huge, isn't it? And mm. I think we underestimate um, what a strong role it plays. I mean, I, I, even my situation, um, because my husband is from uh, Montenegro, the former Yugoslavia, and, you know, he, he came mm. back to Australia um, to be with me and because English isn't his first language, um, I was the obvious breadwinner. Um, mm. it, it made sense for us. So when we had our child... He was a stay-at-home parent and I went back to work and I was shocked at even like culturally how how some people were very judgmental about him. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's crazy, right? It's crazy. We're so yeah. wed to our rules, our cultural rules, and they are the very things that shackle us. And when I say I'm, I was surprised at at, um, you know, how people viewed that and, and the cultural uh, beliefs around that. that. That wasn't just men, that was women as well. Mm. You know, there were many that, that celebrated it, but there were some that also kind of, you know, um, had a little bit of judgment on the side, which is really interesting. But Yeah, I had the same experience. Carol and my husband stayed home with our daughter for six years. Yeah. And, um, and I was the breadwinner. So, 
it is um it becomes very again it's lived experience it becomes very uh, visible to you um you know what those social constructs are when you're receiving feedback around stepping outside of the accepted or the norm Mm. I I have a you know I'm hopeful for the next generation coming through you know I think you know the glass staircase that we put men on in this country um you know when when I I read an article yesterday about an organization making sure all of their their leaves not maternity leave it's parental it's parental Mm. leave you know that change in dialogue and making it open up make opening it up to everyone in the organization and then having men that actually take it and show that it can be done differently you know those that changing that system and structure and just that legacy you know item will will start will start to change those things as well yeah it has to and the work you are doing which is telling these stories of of the business you know these women-owned businesses or Mm. you know women um women in in leadership positions in these businesses so crucial that people see that and they can see themselves in a similar story Mm. so yeah um so tell me it it you know the path you're on I'm sure has had many many challenges how has your purpose what you're here to try and achieve how has that led you through difficult times Oh, I think it's, we always use our purpose and we talk a lot about legacy um, as our compass and it's, it's the first thing that we talk about in every six monthly planning session that we have, you know, why we exist and um, our progress against that legacy and our fundamental purpose for being. I think how it has really helped to drive our business and to help us through challenges is it's a really good yardstick for measuring what we say yes to and what we say no to. I think in business it can become really easy to become overwhelmed by the level of requests and invitations and, you know, things that are coming at you and sometimes not know how to necessarily filter those. And, you know, that for us has helped us to stay on on the path and on the track and really be focused, laser focused on achieving that purpose. What would you say, Lana? Oh, I'd agree with you, Jade. And I think the one, it sort of makes it easier to say, you know, to decide, um, but also it's made us more successful Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, people want to be part of that purpose. They want to be part of creating change. Sometimes people don't know where to go. Um, so it's been the more that we've, you know, been laser focused in on that purpose, the better outcomes we've had for the business. Yeah. And, and I, I wanted to ask you, because I imagine an organization like yours, um, that compass is vital because I'm sure you would attract numerous opportunities, people who, um, you know, want something from you or want to give you something, so having having that clarity and and being able to figure out what to say yes to and what to say no to and I'm delighted you said yes to this podcast um <laughs> but 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 how how do you actually work through it because I think there are a lot of businesses who who get overwhelmed with that particularly mm. you know businesses who who are um really driven by their purpose 
How do you have a criteria? Is it values led? Like, how do you work through that? It becomes easier over time. And I think you, when you start off, you try a lot of different things as well, and you quickly figure out what works and what doesn't work. Um, we, we talk all the time, you know, as things come through, um, you know, if it's something that we've decided on as a, you know, as a standing no, then doesn't need a discussion. Um, but as opportunities arise, we, we absolutely have that discussion between us in terms of how it does fit with our purpose, how it does fit with our current priorities. And we're just becoming better at saying yes to the right opportunities and, and no to ones that actually might be better for suited to one of our members. We do a lot of that as well um, uh, because we do receive so many requests and opportunities you know, we think about consciously, is there a member who we can refer into that opportunity when it's not right for us? And I think people just appreciate when you get back to them. You know, so many people like send mm. out requests and, and just by saying, no, it's not right for us because of A, B and C, they're like, oh, thank you. Thank you for responding. You know, just that basic etiquette and giving them the why and that we actually have considered it. Um you know, I, I, I think people actually really appreciate that. It's okay to say no. It really yes. is. Just yeah. but people would prefer that than not hear anything. Oh, <laughs> yes. You've, you've touched on one of my pet hates. It's just that lack of acknowledgement <laughs> yeah. on things. It's basic respect, isn't it? But mm. um, so you, you talked about, um, Alana, you talked about your, your hope for the next generation coming through and I, I share that as well. I see that they they really do think differently. But I also see, you know, um, and I know this from from talking to my daughter who also works with me. She she's almost twenty three, and she just uh, she actually just um, spoke at at uh, an event I did, and she talked about how all of her uni friends were coming out with all these aspirations and excitement. Um, and then suddenly finding themselves in a position where they're, ha they're accepting jobs from the very organisations that they cancelled before, right? Um, because mm. they feel that they can't say no. They're told you just you know, take any opportunity you're given because you don't know what else you're going to get. And suddenly they're getting sucked into this machine of business that is, you know, business as usual, what it always has been. And they feel powerless, to do anything I would say learn what you can from those organizations get as much professional development as you absolutely can get a few runs on the board and then and then go but just if it's that first stepping stone for you then you know realize it for what it is and go okay you know what can I what can I learn from this I don't know what you would say Jade I think, yeah, absolutely. And I always say to people, because I obviously are in working in HR, have come, you know, had a lot of career discussions with people. You always need to feel like you're in charge of yourself and that you have control and decision-making over your own destiny, I think. Mm. Um, it's just such a fundamental part of well-being and mental health. You know, if you don't like where you are right now, put a time frame on it and have a plan where you we are working consciously towards a different alternative because that will put that then puts you in control of your situation and you feel you know 
um, a sense of autonomy around it rather than being a victim to your circumstance and feeling powerless. Yeah. And for the for the young women who are coming into mm. businesses um, and, and, you know, who might hear about this message, you know, that, that of, of female uh, purse power, procurement power, and mm. yet see the huge gap between representation at a leadership level, what can they do? You know, it, it is, is, and part of that question is corporate versus small to medium businesses versus starting your own business. You know, they're looking at that whole array of opportunities and where they can best travel and create a mark and, and, and have some meaning. What, what, what is your advice to them? I would say to anyone, don't stay too long in a place where you're not valued because yeah. it's really bad for your self-confidence and your self-esteem. You shouldn't, you know, once you have decided this is not the place, move. That's, that's such good advice. That's brilliant. Thank you. And look Alana. at the Workplace Gender Equality Agency, Employer of Choice, the people doing well, you know, they're the ones mm. that have changed the systems and structures to enable those young women to succeed. It shouldn't be up to the young women to change the organisation. We are the ones, you know, the, our generation, the generations before us that should be changing it for them. So use the data that's out there and set up a seek search for those companies because they're the ones that are, you know, making it better for them. Fantastic. And so what were the sources that you just mentioned? The Workplace Gender Equality Agency. Yeah. And they have an employer of choice list. So these are like the creme de la creme um, in Australia. So they are companies that have over 100 employees. Um, I think if you're looking for smaller companies, then, you know, there's other there's definitely other places you can go, you know, Fem Economy or B Corp or, you know, speaking to people in your network. Yeah. And that's brilliant. And that, again, furthers the movement because the more young women, you know, um, start um, looking for those organisations and prioritising those organisations, the more we see that migration um, of, of, yeah, quality candidates to those organisations and the more we further this movement. Well, we do have the most um, highly educated women in the world. So oh, there you go. <laughs> the companies that have them, uh, you know, they're going there to There you be, go. Um, that's mind-blowing. That's, that's just crazy, right? Um, so in closing, I have this belief that leaders of purposeful businesses are essentially optimists um, because mm. they believe or we believe we can create change. You know, that, that's why you're showing up. So channeling that optimism, can you share, each of you, what you think the world will look like in 2030? Oh, for me, I would love to see legislation actually catch up to the social progress um, that is happening and around community expectations, around gender equality, around inclusion and diversity. I think there's always a lag between the legislation that really puts a stake in the ground for current and future generations in terms of what's acceptable and what's not. And um, yeah, that's that's what I'd like to see legislation catch up to, you know, what overwhelmingly um, we think workplaces should look like. 
Yeah, brilliant, because that will accelerate things a lot quicker, mm. won't it, when that yes. happens. Thank you. Thank you. Alana? Um, I'd like to turn on the television and see our um, gender-balanced and culturally diverse parliaments speaking respectfully to each other, listening to each other's ideas and working out the best <laughs> way forward for the country um, on behalf of everyone that lives here. I'd love to see that. But, you know, for me, if I think about my two children, I've got a boy and a girl, I don't want any doors closed to them because of their gender. I don't want my son to feel like he has to be a certain Australian male stereotype. Um, you know, I want it to be a country where and society where everyone thrives, where we respect each other, um, listen to each other. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very optimistic about the future. <laughs> um, Brilliant. Particularly to turn on the telly and see, you know. Yes, yes, um, yes, yes, yes. I'm <laughs> cheering in the background. I'm cheering in the background. And I just want to pull out, we only touched on it briefly, but, but um, I, I think it was you, Jade, who said, you know, female... Um, owned businesses or females with uh, businesses with good female representation are more profitable than other businesses. Um, and can you mm. just just pull out where where does that stat come from? Because I think that's something a really important takeaway. I would love to leave listeners with. Um, that's a stat from the uh, study the Peterson Institute of Economics uh, did, um, and I think it's something like. Um, 15% more profitable, but, but, but there have been subsequent studies done um, on a global basis. There's so much research around mm. this. There is so much research that proves it and proves it again and proves it and keeps proving it, um, yeah. that it's actually really good for business. It's good for people and it's good for business to have, um, you know, women in leadership. Mm. Brilliant, brilliant. Is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners? Use your purse power and procurement <laughs> power to support <laughs> women-owned businesses. No. Um, yep. just thank you for um, having this great conversation around purpose today, Carol. It's been wonderful. Oh, thank you for joining us. And for, for anyone who wants to learn more about Fem Economy and, you know, potentially look at becoming a, a member of the community, where should they go? What should they do? Just visit us at femeconomy.com or find Jade or I on LinkedIn. Brilliant. Thank you. Jade, did you want to have any last words? I think Alana has said it all. Fantastic. Thanks, Thanks for the opportunity, Carolyn. It's been a great oh, discussion. Thank you so much for coming on and having a chat and sharing. You've blown my mind with some of the statistics you have shared and I can see there is so much work to do, but with you two powerhouses doing what you're doing, it feels like we are moving in the right direction. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the For Love and Money podcast. If you'd like to take a deeper dive into the purpose movement, visit us at thecauseeffect.com.au. And remember, doing good is good for business. So if you're not doing good, then what are you doing?